Heavenly Father, we thank you that you sent your Son into this world, and we thank you that you have left a record of just some of the things that he said and some of the things that he did. Lord, some of these words are very familiar to us this morning, and some of us, they may be quite unfamiliar. But Lord, we pray that as we come together and as we look at your word and look at this miracle of Jesus Christ, we pray that we would all together marvel at him once more. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've been working our way through John's Gospel, and we've been, we've been in John chapter 5, and last week we looked at how Jesus was proving that he was sent from God, that there were a number of witnesses that testified that Jesus is from God. And one of those witnesses is the very fact that he does miracles. And we saw that in verse 36 of John chapter 5. Look with me there, John chapter 5, verse 36, where Jesus says to the religious leaders, I have testimony weightier than that of John. For the very work that the Father has given me to finish and which I am doing testifies that the Father has sent me. One of the reasons that you can know that Jesus is from God is by the work that he did. And particularly the miracles that he did point to the fact that Jesus is from God. And more than that, that Jesus is God himself. He's not just the son of God. He is indeed God himself. And by the son of God, we recognize that he is God. And now we come to John chapter 6 and we see an incredible miracle where a large amount of food that didn't exist before suddenly exists. And this is a display of Christ's power and that he does indeed come from God. Is this an incredible miracle, though? Is it quite marvellous what happens here? Well, it is an incredible miracle because of the sheer quantity of food that is suddenly made. There is enough food here created for 5,000 men, it is estimated, in the passage. It says that in verse 10. Verse 10 says, Have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. How many people were provided for? Well, 5,000 men, it says here in John's Gospel, but in Matthew's Gospel, where it records the same event, it says that it's 5,000 men plus women and children. And so where there's men, there's usually women, and where there's men and women, there's usually kids. And... An estimate of how many people could be here would probably be 20,000 or more, maybe as high as 25,000 people are here with Jesus, and Jesus provides for them. And we know it's a large crowd, not just from the estimate of the number there. We know it's a large crowd because the disciples are flabbergasted as to how they can provide food for so many people. We read in verse 5, When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Is it a big crowd? Well, then we read in verse 6. It says, he asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. And Philip answered him, eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Philip doesn't know what to do. It's too big a crowd for him to know how to provide food for them. And then we see that Andrew is at a loss as to how he can provide as well for these people. And we read in verse 8, another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? 
Andrew's got some ideas as to how we can solve the problem, but really he's at a loss as well. How far will they go among so many? So we know it's quite a large crowd. We've got the estimate of the numbers. We've got the disciples being uh, absolutely bemused to try and work out how we can feed all these people. And then we see in the text that there's a couple of hints that give reason why such a large crowd of people would be together. Because you don't see 20,000 people gathered every day of the week. It's very unusual to see 20,000 people gathered around one person. Why are all these people here? Well, verses 1 and 2 tell us one of the reasons. It says in John chapter 6, page 1055, verse 1, Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because, here we go, we find out why, they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. Why are so many people gathered in one spot? It's because Jesus was doing miraculous signs. He was healing people. And wherever someone is that can do great healing miracles, people will gather around that person. And so that explains why so many people are there. But there's another reason why so many people are gathered together, and that's given in verse 4. Verse 4 of John chapter 6, it says, The Jewish Passover feast was near. This is a little hint as to why so many people would be gathering around Jesus at this time. What is the Passover feast? Well, it's a religious festival that was inaugurated by Moses when the Israelites left from Egypt. And so the Israelites would gather together and a lot of them would move towards Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover there so that they could worship God as he has instructed. And that would generally create some time of religious excitement. We get a little taste of it when we consider Christmas and Easter each year. There's a bit of religious excitement amongst God's people and they will gather together in a way that they may not normally. And you will see some people come out of the woodwork at Christmas and Easter who don't normally uh, come to regular gatherings. And that would have been the case here as well. There's a bit of religious fervour happening as the Passover is approaching, and people are actually on the move towards Jerusalem. And so it's not surprising that as Jesus appears, as this great religious teacher appears, and then he's doing all these great miracles of healing, that a large group of people would gather around him. So it's quite an extraordinary miracle. We understand that there were a large amount of people there, which meant a large amount of bread was suddenly formed out of nowhere. And it's not just that all these people ate the food, had a little bit to eat. No, they had a lot to eat, the Bible tells us. Look with me at verse 11 and 12. Verse 11 and 12, the people all sit down, and then we read in verse 11, Jesus then took the loaves, he gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. And when they'd all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. It's not as though Jesus fed 20,000 people with a little mouthful each, like we may do with the communion bread. It's this tiny little square. Everybody has a little taste. No, they ate as much as they wanted, which demonstrates he created a lot of food out of thin air. And then we see that there were actually leftovers, that there were 12 basketfuls of leftovers from everybody eating. So this is indeed an extraordinary miracle. It may be one of the greatest miracles of Jesus Christ, uh, apart from the resurrection, when you consider the amount of food that was created and the fact that this was an extraordinarily public miracle. Is there any other miracle where 20-odd thousand people get to witness a miracle of Jesus Christ. This is a tremendous miracle that is done here by Jesus. 
And we may be familiar with it because we've grown up in a church and we've heard these Bible stories so many times and we lose the edge of it and we don't understand how powerful this miracle actually is. And so then as we look at this miracle, we've got to ask ourselves, how do you respond to such a miracle? How do you respond to John chapter 6, verses 1 to 15, as it records here, this amazing miracle? Well, we see how some people respond. We see that in verse 14 and 15. Verse 14 and 15, we read, After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. How do people respond to this? Well, they recognize that Jesus is the prophet, which is a reference to the fact that Moses said that one day a great prophet would come. And so they're saying, this is the prophet. This is the great prophet that was to come. And they wanted to make him king by force. I mean, we, generally speaking, have our daily bread. I'm not particularly worried about whether I'll be eating tomorrow. But we've got to remember at this time, they didn't have the high storage amounts of food that we enjoy here in Australia. And if you could get someone who could create food out of nothing, I'd want him as my king as well. You're on to an easy life if you've got a king who just continues to be able to provide food. So they want to make him king by force. That's how they're responding to this miracle. And Jesus actually has to withdraw by himself to get away from them because it is not in his will to actually be king at this, at this time. So how do you respond to this miracle? We see the crowd responding there. How do you respond? Well, some people just cannot conceive of this miracle actually being true. They read a passage like John chapter 6 and they go, this just couldn't take place. 20-odd thousand people, all this food, so they're full and there's baskets left over. It just couldn't take place. And one popular commentator of the Bible, William Barclay, has another explanation as to what actually happened here. And I'll read this to you, because William Barclay is actually quite popular amongst Christian churches uh, for commentating on the word. And he says, it, can, it is scarcely to be thought that the crowd left on a nine-mile expedition without making any preparations at all. So he's saying the crowd, there's no way that they would have gone out to see Jesus in a very lonely place without any preparations at all. If there were pilgrims with them, they would certainly possess supplies for the way. But it may be that none would produce what he had, for he selfishly and very humanly wished to keep it all for himself. It may then be that Jesus, with that rare smile of his, produced the little store that he and his disciples had. With sunny faith, he thanked God for it and shared it out. Moved by his example, everyone who had anything did the same. And in the end, there was enough, more than enough for all. It may be that this is a miracle in which the presence of Jesus turned a crowd of selfish men and women into a fellowship of sharers. It may be that this story represents the biggest miracle of all, one which changed not loaves and fishes, but men and women. What's his response to this miracle of John chapter 6? It's not really a miracle. Well, it is a miracle. You change selfish hearts. Everybody actually had food. And no one wanted to share. And Jesus gave a winning smile. And everyone went, oh, yes, I can share. And so food wasn't created out of nothing. No, everybody simply shared what they had. But the truth is, Christ did an enormous miracle here. 
a little bit of bread and fish became a lot of bread and fish. But do you believe it? Do you believe that this is true? How do you respond to this miracle in John chapter 6? If you do believe it, how might you see a change in your life? How would you see an impact in your life as a result of believing that this miracle is true? Which I encourage you to do so. It is indeed a true miracle of Jesus Christ. He really did this. Now, how do you respond? And if you believe it's true, how would you see an impact in your life? Well, one way is that when faced with enormous problems, you will certainly see an impact. God often tests you to see what you are going to do in the face of enormous problems. And you see that with Jesus here. There's an enormous problem. All these people need to eat. And what does he do? He doesn't say, okay, let's do this. I'll get uh, everybody sit down. I'll take care of it. No, he asks the disciples, what are we going to do? Where are we? Where shall we buy bread for all these people to eat? He's concerned to see how the disciples will respond to the enormous problem. And maybe you're like Philip when you face an enormous problem. What does Philip do in this passage? Well, in the face of enormous difficulty, he thinks of human resources. He thinks of earthly resources. What do we see? Well, in verse 7, it reads, Philip answered him, eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. How does Philip face problems? Well, he does some math, works out how much money is required to make the problem go away. And maybe that's what you do in the face of enormous problems. He did the math. He thought, oh, well, look, um, even eight months' wages. In the, in the Greek, if you look at the footnote in the margin there, it says that that's 200 denarii. A denarius was basically a day's work. He says 200 days' work wouldn't pay enough money to feed all these people. It might get close. And if we think in today's terms, that's tens of thousands of dollars. Think of how much you make in a year. Divided by 12 times by 8, that's how much money he was thinking of. A substantial amount of money, depending on how much you make each year. He's done the math and says, we need money, but we don't actually have enough. Is that how you respond when faced with an enormous problem? Or maybe you're like Andrew. Andrew goes and finds someone who has something to offer. We see that in verse 8 and 9. It says, Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Andrew's gone scratching to find what do we possibly have. And he's found a little boy who has some food. Is that you when faced with an enormous problem? You look at who possibly can I find that has something to offer so that I can defeat this problem of mine? Or maybe you're the little boy. You've got something and you are willing to offer that. Now, there is a place for such responses. It's important to consider financial matters when faced with a problem. It's important to see who is around that might be able to help you. And it's important to consider what do I actually have, even if it's just a little bit, that can solve an enormous problem. But what should they have done? Well, they should have recognised that Jesus had enough power to solve this problem. That it was an enormous problem, but Jesus has enormous power. 
And so he could solve this problem. And this is the same for us today. We face all kinds of problems as we go about our lives. And if this miracle has impacted you, it will demonstrate itself when you face such a problem. Because you will know that you have an enormous problem, but you also have an enormous God. And his name is Jesus Christ. And so you trust in him and you will come to him in prayer about your enormous problem. Philip and Andrew, they should have trusted Jesus and surrendered to Jesus for help. And that's what we need to do. In problems that we face, we should pray, I know you can solve the problem, Jesus. Help, please. Help me with my problem. Because I know you can supply all my needs. You have such marvellous power. The truth is, even as Christians, we often have small faith in God's power And so we pray small prayers for a small amount of time. Consider how much time you spend in prayer in your life. Is it a large amount? Is it a small amount? And when you pray prayers, are they just small prayers about things that you you could probably solve yourself if you put your nose to the grindstone or somebody else could help you with? Big things, oh, no, I won't go there because it's very unlikely that it will actually come to pass. But if we believe that this is true, John chapter 6, if we believe that this was indeed a historical fact, that Jesus solved an enormous problem with enormous power, then we will come to God when we are faced with enormous problems ourselves. We'll come to him in prayer and ask him to do mighty things. How would you see this in your life? Well, a practical example would be the enormous problem of the forgiveness of sins. We all have an enormous problem. We have rebelled against God, we have sinned against him, and we need forgiveness. And what do most people do when faced with the enormous problem of guilt? They try and work out financially how much can I give to God, maybe, or to the poor, and solve this problem of guilt. They try and find somebody else around to help them out. They may try and offer to God or to somebody else what little they have, like that little boy did. What should they do? What should you do when facing the enormous guilt that you have about your sin against the holy God? You should come to Jesus and say, I have nothing to pay for my sins. It's too big. My burden upon my back, it's too big. No one can help me out. Money can't help me out. And the little bit I have in my life, it can't help me out either. Jesus, can you do that miracle of cleansing me from all unrighteousness, from all my sin? I have an enormous problem, but I know you're an enormous God and you can pay for my sin. Have you done that? If you believe that John chapter 6 is true, then you should be led to do so. There is no greater problem than your sin. But the truth of the Bible is that he can solve that problem. He has done it over the centuries for many people, and he can do it for you today if you will come to him in prayer and ask for his help. Don't make promises about money. Don't make promises about other people will help me. Don't make promises to give of the little that you have. 
Surrender your hands and say, I have nothing. I need your help. And if you do so, the Bible promises that Jesus does forgive, that he transforms your heart, and you can live in holiness of life from then on. Other practical examples may be seen in your life as well. That's the biggest practical example is to be saved. But as Christians, we face other difficult problems throughout our lives. And we should, if we believe John 6 is true, see an impact in our lives as we face such problems. One of the other insurmountable problems, particularly one that I face, but you bear with me to some extent, is the insurmountable problem of saving the lost in Dremoyne. There are a lot of people who live in this suburb. I live in this suburb. I see a lot of them. I know that they're lost. It's a huge problem. And Christ tests us with this problem. He says, where shall we get bread for these people? Now, what do you do when he says, where shall we get bread for these people? Well, you can be like Philip and say, money is needed, but we don't have enough. And yes, we should be willing to spend what we have on reaching the lost in Dremoyne. We should be willing to take into consideration financial matters. But we must recognise also that even $20 million wouldn't save the lost in Dremoyne. Maybe we think, oh, we just get some other people in to help us, like Andrew did. You know, I'll find someone who's got something to do. And that's great. Yes, we need all the help, all the workers we can to be here in Dremoyne. But ultimately, we could pay a huge amount of people to be here in Dremoyne witnessing, and it's not actually going to save anyone. Maybe we could be like the little boy and say, I'll offer what I can for the lost in Dremoyne. And yes, we should be willing to do so. We should be willing to give whatever we've got to help people come to know the Lord. But ultimately, we should know that it's impossible for anyone to be saved in Dremoyne without the Lord's help. Without God, we cannot make a dent, even a scratch on the surface here in Dremoyne, because it's an impossible task that we've been given. What have we been given by the Lord to do? It's to raise the dead. The people in Dremoyne who don't believe in Jesus Christ are dead in their sins, and they need to come to life. You can't solve that with money. You can't solve that with other people. You can't solve it by giving of whatever little bit you've got. It's solved by Jesus Christ. And so we must, if we believe this text is true, we must come to Jesus and ask for his help in saving the lost in Dremoyne because it's only he that can change a heart. It's only he that can bring dead people back to life. And so that's why I was so encouraged to see many of you sign up for the day of prayer that we had on Easter Saturday, where we specifically set aside a day of prayer where for 12 hours we would continuously pray for the people in Dremoyne. Why did we do that? Why did I initiate it and why did you sign up? Because it demonstrates you recognise that John 6 is true, that Jesus has enormous power, we have an enormous problem, and the only way we can solve it is by coming to God and asking for his help. Now, you may have another problem in your life. You may have an enormous burden at this time. 
What are you going to do? Well, if you respond to John 6 with faith, then you know that you have an enormous God who does enormous miracles and that he can provide abundantly for whatever problem you have, whether it be a physical problem, he can provide. He fed the Israelites in the desert for 40 years. He fed the Israelites through Elisha, which we read earlier in Second Kings, and he fed the Israelites here in John chapter 6. He can provide more than enough for all your needs. There was leftovers when Jesus did his miracle. And so if you're faced with an enormous physical problem, what should you do? You should come to him in prayer and ask for his help. And he can also provide immensely for your spiritual problems. Jesus can provide abundantly for those as well. Christ's death is more than sufficient to pay for every problem that you have. And so whether it be physical or spiritual, whatever problem you've got in your life, come before God in prayer and ask for his help. And once you've done that, what should you do? Well, you should wait, which is not what we saw the Israelites doing here when they saw Jesus and the miracle that he did. You should wait for the Lord's leading. What did the people do? Well, they saw Jesus' great power. And what did they do? They tried to force Jesus to do something that he wasn't willing to do. And that's what we're sometimes tempted to do with God as well. We have an enormous problem. We come to him and we want to force his hand and say, you must do what I'm asking. But that's not how we operate with God. And what did Jesus do when people started to force him? He withdrew. And so if you come to God with a problem, you come to him, you ask for his help, and then you wait and see what he does. You can keep coming to him in prayer. You can offer what you have. And then you come and you simply wait on him. And that's what we're doing in one respect with the lost here in Dremoyne. We had that day of prayer on Easter Saturday. And then we saw no response on Easter Sunday. We saw no one from Dremoyne who wasn't connected with us in some way already, come in. We did the letterbox drop. We spent what resources we had. We prayed as much as we could for the people in Dremoyne to come to the Lord, and they didn't come. But what do we do? Well, we continue to pray, and we wait. God knows what he's doing. Jesus always knew what he was going to do. We see that in the passage. It says in verse 6, He asked this only to test him, that's Philip, For he already had in mind what he was going to do. God is testing us to see how we respond to the problem. And then he does what he wills after that. And so whatever problem you've got, I encourage you, trust that Jesus can solve it. Come before him and ask for his help and then wait on him. Be still and know that he is God and wait for him. So if you believe that the feeding of the 5,000 is true, watch out. It will change your life. It will have an impact. If you believe that God can do something like this, then it will change how you live. If you're a Christian and you're here this morning, how has the feeding of the 5,000 changed the way you live? How does, how does knowing about Christ's power change the way you live or change the way you live in the past? I've raised one point about prayer and enormous difficulties that you may face. 
That a miracle like this should drive you to God in prayer when you face a problem. They face an enormous problem. We face enormous problems. We should come to God in prayer. That's just one way that this miracle can impact your life. There are other ways. I just chose to focus on one. If you're a Christian, how has this changed the way you live, knowing God's power? Hopefully, it hasn't simply changed you like Barclay did so that you'll just share a little bit of food so that everybody else will share their food as well. That will only impact you for church lunch today where you come along and share a little bit so that other people will share a little bit as well. That's not what this miracle does to people's lives. It does things that are much more profound than that. How has God's power changed your life? Knowing about God's power changed your life. Why don't you share with someone? At morning tea, or if you stay for church lunch, share with someone how Christ's power has changed your life and encourage them that it does indeed, that the word of God does indeed impact upon you as you learn about miracles like this. Let's come before God in prayer. Let's speak with him. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this record of Christ's marvellous work that proves that he is sent from you. And so, Lord, we pray that we would come before you in prayer regularly. When faced with enormous difficulties, may we look to you for help. May we give what we can, but, Lord, we pray that we would come before you and know that you alone are the one who can solve all problems, particularly our problem of sin, but also our many problems that come up day by day. Oh, Lord, we pray that we would continue to believe that Jesus is indeed the powerful God today that he was in that time so many years ago and that he still cares for us today. He cares about our bodily needs. He also cares about our spiritual needs. And so, Lord, we pray that we would come simply in prayer and ask for his help. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.